Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again this week and thank you again for tuning in every week and watching us as we are in this exciting series. I think it's exciting anyway, uh, on the roadmap to Reformation. And we are studying the book of Nehemiah and Ezra, Haggai and Zechariah, who were all prophets and priests and kings and governors in the midst of a time of Reformation when they are returning from Babylonian captivity to a time of rebuilding. We have probably filmed over 20, I don't know, we've lost count now, 20-some series sessions already on this roadmap to Reformation. And if you'd like to catch up, I believe this is a college course, and I believe it's something that should be taught to leaders especially, but maybe in Bible studies, uh, colleges. I'm, I have uh, some networks of ministry that are using these teachings on their websites for apostolic reformation, because I believe God is saying something about reformation to us. And if you've missed any of them, you can go back and watch them on demand on YouTube. And, uh, or you can listen to the audio portions of it on our podcast on iTunes or for your Android device, there is an RSS feed. The easiest way to do any of that is simply to go to my website, which is on the screen or will come on the screen. And the upper right-hand corner of my website, you can tap the icon of the YouTube and whatever, or the, the podcast, and it will take you directly there. And you can subscribe to the channels absolutely free and watch them on demand. Uh, you know, I, it's literally a college course for free. We're spending a lot of money to give this to you for free, and I believe they'd be a blessing to you, so go watch them at your leisure. We're going to come back, though, today, because we started last week uh, filming The Gate of the Fountain, or The Fountain Gate, it's called. And I'm going to read to you again from Nehemiah because this is the place where we've taken the text from. In chapter 2, verse 12 through 14, said, I rose in the night, and I and some few men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, neither was there any beast with me. I want you to note that. I tried to get into this last week, but I didn't get there. With, there was Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain, and to the king's pool. But there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Now a picture of ancient Israel in the days of Nehemiah will show that the dung gate was the lowest point in the city. There was a sharp uh, turn that headed in the other direction, I believe it was eastward, that led to the gate of the fountain. The pool of Siloam was also inside of this gate, and we will get to the pool of Siloam before this series is over because Jesus does something significant here at the pool of Siloam. There's a man who was born blind who Jesus heals. I'm going to talk about some significant things there. And he sends him to the pool of Siloam, which literally means, by interpretation, sent. First of all, I think he's sending people who are born blind to the sent one, 
in order to restore their sight. Once I was blind, but now I can see, the songwriter said. And the reality of it is, is when we come to this pool, there's a washing that will cause us to come seeing. I also believe that when you uh, take a look at this, the idea of this pool, meaning one who is sent, is that the word apostle is from the word that means to be sent, or a sent one. And so I believe God is restoring apostles, real apostles, back to the church. Here's just a very simple thing to me about apostles. Number one is they point you to Christ. True apostles point you to Christ. False apostles point you to themselves. This apostolic thing that God is restoring is not a rent-a-dad program in my program, in my opinion. It's where it's not a, a trying to buy a relationship with a famous preacher. It is people who've been sent to point you to Christ. These apostles didn't go around carrying a card where they were self-appointed apostles. They were sent by God. And the thing that was the proof of their apostleship was the product and fruit of their ministry. They did not go around, apostles did not go around and just preach apostles. They went around and preached Christ and laid the foundation upon which the city of God is built. Remember, when we're talking about the restoration of the city, that we're, talking, we're comparing this with Revelation 21 and 22, where the city of God in both of these places are a picture or a type and shadow of the bride, the Lamb's wife, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the community of faith, the tabernacle of God, which we are. The city of God is not a place, it's a people. And it had 12 gates, one of all of several pearl, and the pearl we spoke of in earlier segments is the pearl of great price that was hid in a field that Jesus sold everything He had to come and buy that field. We talked about how a pearl was formed by suffering, through the suffering of Christ. He's made access where the gates of the city are never shut day or night. And so uh, what I want you to see is that when, when Nehemiah turns the corner, he's leaving the dragon well and the dung port. And I showed you in prior segments that the dragon well was the place where legend has it that the head of a dragon was cut off. He's beginning to discover in the, in the process of reformation, you're going to have to realize that Jesus spoiled principalities and powers and made a show of them openly. As a matter of fact, the guy who built the gate of the fountain, his name was Shalon, and his name means to spoil them. He spoiled the lodging. He's, his, he, and his father's name was Kohosa, which means the all-seeing one. So the son of the all-seeing one, who is Jesus Christ, came to spoil principalities and powers, and he was uh, the ruler of the uh, place, which means a watchtower. So here you have the one who's the ruler of the watchtower, who's the son of the all-seeing one, who came to spoil principalities and powers, and he did exactly that. And in the process of reformation, Nehemiah has turned from the dragon well, and he's turned from the dung port, and he's headed to the gate of the fountain. Now at the dung port, we already talked to you about how when you come to this place where you start towards the fountain gate, there's a stark corner there that we must turn the corner. We must turn away from the dung gate and the dragon well. And which way are you headed today would be my question. Are you headed back to where you came from, to all the crap and mess you were in? Are you headed back to the habitation of dragons? 
or do you want to go to the king's fountain? It's your prerogative. I think as we study, uh, it's important that we study the ruins that were there so that we don't have to go back and redo them again. Certainly you can learn from your past experiences. But one of the things that I've emphasized pretty heavily in this, because I believe this is talking about a reformation to a new covenant paradigm, because I compared the, the Babylonian captivity in prior segments to the religious system of old covenant Israel, and God bringing us out of that captivity, <coughs> excuse me, and headed towards the new covenant city of God. And in order to do that, you're going to have to move away from what Paul called dung. The dung gate, Paul says this. He said, I was born of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day, the stock of Israel, as touching the law. I was blameless blameless as touching the law. He said, but I count all of that as dung that I might win Christ and be found in Him. He counted all of that old covenant religious system that he was raised in as dung that he might win Christ and be found in Him. Now there's a lot of stuff you can do with dung. One of them is make fertilizer out of it. Another thing they did with it was they used it for fuel. It was good to burn. They used it for, they would gather it up, dry it out, and use it as fuel. What God has done in my life is through the religious upbringing that I came through, as He's used that as fertilizer, and He's also used it as fuel for me to be able to teach the gospel of the kingdom and the new covenant realities that are in Christ as we come to the King's fountain. And I told you last week there were stairs that came down from the king's uh, from the king's palace, and there was an ascent to the throne that must be taken because we must turn from that and ascend to the kingdom. And I talked about how that the word repent means to turn about. So we're not just what we turned from, but what we turned towards. So we've turned from religion. We've turned from the dragon well. We've turned from the crap in our lives, the sin, the destruction, and all of that. There's involved there. And we've turned to the place of ascent, and we're headed to the king's fountain. And when he came to the king's fountain, the Bible says when he came there, he said when he started out, there was no man with me except the beast that I rode in on. But when he comes to the king's fountain, he said there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. And when I thought about that, and I wrote some of this in one of my books called The Unforced Rhythms of Grace. But in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 5, this is what it says. If you then be risen with Christ. Now, Wu's translation and several other translations says, says, since you have been, or in view of the fact, therefore, that you've been raised with Christ. In other words, if you've turned the corner and you've been raised with Christ to a new life, thus sharing His resurrection from the dead. Remember, I talked about the ascent of the stairs that there were six steps to the throne, I believe it was of Solomon. And I showed you last week that those six steps where Jesus was crucified, He died, He was buried, He was quickened, He was raised, and He seated. Now that's wonderful and that's powerful, but that's what He did. But see, what happens is there must be an identification and a fellowship with that because I was crucified with Christ. I was co-crucified. I, I, I co-died with Him. I died with Him, the Scripture says. I was buried with Him. I was co-buried. Then I was co-quickened. I, I was quickened with Him. 
Then I was raised with Christ. That's all in the book of Ephesians. And I'm right now seated with him far above all principalities and powers. Remember, the name of this guy who built the gate means the one who spoiled principalities and powers. He's the son of the all-seeing one. And when he gave you that and this ascent to the throne, I'm telling you, he spoiled principalities and powers, and we've ascended to the place where we are far above all principalities and powers, but at the name of Jesus, that's higher than any name that can be named, there's authority over these things, these principalities and powers in our lives. And I want you to see that what he says then is when he came to this place of the king's fountain and to the king's pool, There was no place for the beast that was under him. Now, here's what I want to draw from this chapter in Colossians. He said, we are seeking the things that are above, the higher things, not on the things of the earth. We are not setting our affections on the things of the earth. For as far as this world is concerned, (coughs) excuse me, you have died, and your new real life is hid with Christ in God. I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. Your real life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, watch this, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in the splendor of His glory. Christ is our life. When we see Him as our life, we start to walk differently. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in the splendor of His glory. So here's the verse I'm after. So kill, deaden, and deprive of power the evil desires lurking in your members, those animal impulses. When you come to the king's fountain, there's no place for the beast that's under you to pass. So we must kill, dead, and deprive of power the animal impulses that are lurking in our members, and all that is earthly in you that is employed in sin, sexual vice, impurity, sensual appetites, unholy desires, and all greed and covenants, for that is idolatry. The deifying of self and other created things instead of God. I want to just take a moment and talk about there's no place for the beast that's under you to pass. Now let me say to you, and we're going to get into this in detail as we continue to move through this gate of the fountain. I want to say to you that if you're a born-again believer, what he's saying is, in view of the fact that you've been raised with Christ, in other words, you are not in Adam anymore. And uh, I could take a long time to show you that, you see, the, the nature of the beast, and I don't want to get into a lot of deep things. I, I have a book titled God's Beauty and the Beast that I wrote in 1993 that is available at least on Kindle right now. We have a few copies in stock if you go to my website. But what I do in this book is I show that the the beast is not in the White House. The problem is we've allowed the beast nature to be in our house, and Paul calls that animal impulses that are lurking in our members. Now let me say to you that a believer does not have a sin nature. You were crucified with Christ, but sometimes we carry the motions of sin in our members. And one of the members that must be dealt with is this tongue called the most unruly member. And we must begin to speak to ourselves the truth of who we are in Christ. And when you go through this whole chapter in Colossians, he tells you how to part from 
the beast that's not in you, but the beast that's under you. In other words, I believe that believers still sometimes struggle with animal impulses, and he's correcting them, and he's telling them how to move away from these animal impulses is by the revelation of knowing who you now are in Christ and the fact that you've been risen with him. And since you've been risen from with him, then seek the things that are above and set your affections. You have the ability and power to set your affections on things that are above and not on the things that are beneath. Set your appetites. People say, well, I, you know, I can't help myself. I do. No, we set our affections. We feed our appetites on whatever it is we want to. But see, what happens is, is he's not just telling you to do away with that. He's telling you that once you come to the king's fountain, once you come to the king's fountain, there's no place for the beast that's under you to part. You will begin to put away all of the uh, animal impulses that are lurking in your members from the viewpoint of the fact that you've been raised with Christ. As a matter of fact, in James, he says we become doers of the Word and not hearers only. When we behold in the Word of God as in a mirror, the na our, our natural face in a mirror, where we are changed into the self-same image, but uh, James says when we behold in the glass our natural face, the word natural face there is Genesis face. It's the face of our original intent. It's the face of our Genesis, the face of our beginnings. He said, if you look into the perfect law of liberty, not the law of Moses, but the perfect law of liberty, and continue thereon, then what you will do is become a doer of the word and not a hearer, because you have come to a revelation of who you are in your new identity. Let me read this from my notes. It says, The gate of the fountain is located at the entrance of the pool of Siloam. This is the place where Jesus sent the man who had been born blind. See John 9, verse 7. The pool uh, meant to be sent or sent. In the Bible days, a large pool with several porches served those who wanted to be spiritually clean before entering the temple compound. This pool tells us about the work of regeneration and our conversion. You come all the way south and you've turned the corner from sin and redemption in order to head up to the eastern wall toward the eastern gate that enters directly into the court of the temple. The work of regeneration is done by the sent one of the Holy Spirit who was promised to the disciples before the death of John that there's a Lamb of God who's going to take away the sin of the world. Now, th let me just read this, and, we're gonna, and then I'm going to get into this whole chapter in John 9, and we're going to discuss it for the next couple of weeks. The first thing we must note, I'm just going to read this from my notes because it helps me to say it more concise. The first thing we must note is that the man was, was blind from his birth. This pictures the entire human family. I have a chapter in my book, once again, called Unforced Rhythms of Grace that you can get from my website or from Amazon that, that has a whole chapter on this. But uh, this, this pictures the man born blind from his birth. This pictures the entire human family who was born blind from our birth. Sometimes we are blind not only to our physical birth, but even from our new birth. Many of us sitting in religious systems where we are blind to the person and work of Jesus Christ and His redemptive work that I just talked about in those six steps to the throne. In Colossians 2, it's where Jesus spoke principalities and powers, hence the meaning of the name of the guy who built the gate was Shalom. 
whose name means to spoil them. Jesus spoiled principalities and powers, and he is to restore, he is the restorer of the fountain gate. He also restores us to our original identity. That's why he takes the red clay of Adam and the and uh, the red clay of Adam and the spirit of the divine Christ and puts it in this man's eyes and tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. A return to the king's fountain and to the sent one will restore your vision when you wash the red clay of your old identity from your eyes in the pool of Siloam. Now let me go over here to John chapter 9, and we will take a look at some of this. Uh, and we'll go down through these verses because there is some very, very powerful stuff that I think is important. Now, once again, I want you to see that this pool of Siloam was just inside of the fountain gate. John 9 says, And Jesus passed by, saw a man which was blind from his birth. I, could, I think most of us can see this. Once I was blind, but now I see. But yet sometimes I wonder about the vision of the church all over the world. What do you need to have washed from your eyesight? And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither has this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. There's also a chapter in this book called The Great I Am that you can get called where Jesus uses the seven times in the Gospel of John that he says, I am. And this is one of the places where Jesus uses this word. He says, I am the light of the world. And what that light came in the world to do was move you away from a sin consciousness to a righteous consciousness. In other words, everybody wants to find somebody to blame under an old covenant paradigm. But Jesus said to this, see, they're always looking for who sinned, this man or his parents. And the question I would ask is the absurdity of the question did this man sin that he was born blind? I, I don't know how you could uh, ask the question, how could you sin to be born blind? Did you sin on the way out of your mother's birth canal? I mean, come on, we get so, 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 so spiritually blind that we're always looking for somebody. Or we connect this to did his parents sin? And then what happens is, as we jump on this bandwagon that's trending sometimes through the church, that says, well, it was because of generational curses that this man was under. That's an old covenant concept. And under the old covenant, the sins of the fathers were visited to the third and the fourth generation. But Jeremiah, in prophesying to uh, the new covenant, in the context of it bringing about the new covenant, he says, in that context, they will no longer say, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge, but every man will suffer for his own iniquity. In other words, he's saying, in the new covenant, you are not going to be able to pass along generational curses because you've been redeemed from the curse of the law and you've been redeemed from every curse, Jesus being made a curse for us. And on Calvary's tree, when he talks about that fathers have eaten sour grapes 
and the children's teeth are set on edge because they're expecting the sins of the fathers to be visited to the third and fourth generation. Ah, oh, this blesses me. But Jesus on Calvary's cross rears back and say, I thirst. And they bring him a cup of vinegar. They bring him sour grapes. Ah, oh, everything he does in his redemptive work on Calvary's tree is to redeem you from the curse of the past sins of the fallen Adamic nature and to redeem you from the curses of all that have been set before you so that Jesus drank the cup of the curse to redeem you from the curse of the law and from generational curses. You are not under a curse by any shape, fashion, or form. I'm trying to bring you to the pool of the fountain and to the pool of Siloam where you can have your vision and your eyesight washed that you can come away seeing. They say, once I was blind, but now I see I am coming to a place where I am moving away from a sin consciousness to a righteousness consciousness. And what we will see is that in the new covenant, the new covenant says, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. After those days, saith God, I'll write my laws upon their heart, and their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. John's Gospel also declares that three dimensions of the work of the Holy Spirit is to convince unbelievers of sin and of judgment, because the prince of this world is already judged. But the third dimension of the work of the Holy Spirit is to convince us of righteousness, of who we are in Christ. When you turn the corner, you're going to disconnect from who you are in Adam and that identity in Adam. You're going to part company with the beast that was under you. You're going to come to the pool of Siloam, to the sent one, who spoiled principalities and powers and is the son of the all-seeing one and the ruler of the tower, and you're going to walk away with a renewed eyesight. Now what you're going to find on down in this chapter, in chapter 9, is the synagogue put him out. What happens is when you start to get a revelation of what I'm talking about to you, religion might give you the boot. There's probably a lot of you that watch me that have gotten the right foot of fellowship from somewhere. But I'm telling you that I believe we're standing in a new day where God is restoring our true vision. We're looking into the heavens. We're looking in the mirror, not glass darkly, but we're seeing our new identity. It is only coming to the revelation of your identity of who you now are in Christ that will make you part company with the beast that's under you. I could talk about the 666 and say that 6 is the number of man in his fallenness. He was born, he was created on the sixth day. He's a six in his spirit, a six in his soul, and a six in his body. But Jesus is calling us up higher to be a seven. That's to the place of perfection. We need to part company with the beast that's under us. Uh, we're running out of time again. But if you'd like to help us to stay on the air, you're enjoying what we're teaching, take a moment to go for, it's easiest just to go to my website. There's a link there that you can follow where you can give via credit card or PayPal. PayPal will take your credit card there. You could sign up to become a monthly partner or give a one-time gift. We do need your help. You could also call the number on the screen. If you don't get an answer, we have only just a, a limited staff. Leave a message. They will call you back, and we will take your credit card over the phone. Or you can send a check or a money order to the address that will come on the screen. We deeply appreciate and need your help to be able to share the gospel of the kingdom. Be a part of something big. God bless you. Thanks for joining us. 
I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.